Hi, uh, welcome to a special episode of Eric Thurm Makes Merit K Watch Anime. Uh, I'm your co host, Fanbyte Secretary of Anime, Eric Thurm. Uh, and I'm your co host, uh, Fanbyte's Features and Trending Editor, Merit K. This week, we're doing Eric Thurm and Merit K Make Someone Else Watch Anime. Uh, a recurring segment that we'll be doing every 10 or so episodes, maybe. <laughs> right. We'll right. see. This is Calvin Ball. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that guest is, uh, y- you may know him from uh, writing uh, comic series like uh, Darth Vader, uh, Dr. Afra, uh, The Wicked and the Divine, uh, Phonogram. Just the hits keep coming. Uh, the freshly trimmed Kieran Gillen. <laughs> Karen, hi. Hello. Hi. Hello, lovely to be here. Yeah, welcome to the show. Mm. Uh, All right. Yeah, before we we get into sort of the show that we all watched or rewatched for this week, Karen, I would love to know sort of generally what your background is with the medium uh, uh, of anime, whether you like it, hate it, anything in particular that you enjoy, so we can ground ourselves when we get into this sort of sad girl. <laughs> Honestly, I'm rubbish is the best point. As in, I have absolutely no uh, prejudice against it. I'm in a long-term partnership, I'm aware. And um, any television watching is a negotiation. I mm. never watch anything by myself. I, I mean, like in the last 10 years, there's like two TV shows I've watched by myself, uh, if you take away documentaries. Therefore, there's a kind of... The d- discussion involving that just tend to leave a lot of anime on the side. Um, so I think the last full anime I watched was in like 2005, uh, and I watched all of Evangelion. You know what I mean? Oh wow! So I, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, which even, literally, I got to Evangelion because my roommate at the time was. Um, uh, I just heard a load of children screaming, and I just walked into the room like around episode 17 or something, and I was like, "What is this?" And it was just a suka having a very bad day again. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, I'm into you know giant robots and emotional turmoil. That's my thing." Yeah. Uh, so I, I, that is it. Not it, obviously, going back to it. Because, like, if you go back to, I am of an age when, like, I was watching stuff and, like, Akira first became of notice in the mm-hmm. UK. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, I'm that generation, stuff flowing around. Um, I'm more likely to read manga than I am to watch anime because it's comics and kind of comics is my day job. So yeah. it's like that, that's much more the kind of thing. And I remember, it's like, well, as Alice put it, there's slightly a wider amount of genre in, um, uh, manga than anime just because of course it's cheaper to do comics therefore you get right. different voices so that's the only, that's the only kind of thing but i certainly have no prejudice over it uh and i'm quite trust i quite enjoy the being told you have to watch it that made me watch it <laughs> you know, this is a manga that's been turned up so this is an anime that's turned up in conversation with people who read my stuff so kind of like that's the thing that if, if any one of my readers start talking about something in relation to my work it's kind of like oh i should probably check that out to see what they're what mm-hmm. kind of connective tissues going on there really cool and evangelion definitely i think is a good grounding for this as far as like extremely depressed uh teens uh you know doing genre sacrifice um (laughs) yeah before we we introduce uh madoka um merit did you watch any more uh keep your hands off azokin i haven't yet okay i'm going to watch the whole thing um, hand over heart because it's so good, uh, Karen. Yeah, we the last week we watched a show called Keep Your Hands Off Azukun, which is cool. about basically these three girls starting um, like trying to make anime in their high school, um, 
And it's just so vibrant and like gorgeous. And they use such interesting animation. And the three girls don't look like, you know, the ones in this show or most shows. They look just like mm. little imps and gremlins, which is wonderful. Uh, it's a brilliant show if you ever get the chance. Uh, that sounds delightful. Yeah. I think you would like it. It's, it's, it's completely delightful. It's like the total opposite of, of this, this yes. show. <laughs> it's the opposite of this. Uh, I'm a sucker for anything which is about the, the medium it's in. As right. a you know, as a make it, as in something incredibly always charming. And like creators who want to do that normally have, you know, such obvious love for what they're trying to do. You yeah. know, so kind of, I'm very into that. And it, it really does. It does like a. It, they just animate a lot of the sort of sketches that you could imagine like high school animators doing, and it like looks at that level of sophistication, which is really really nice. Mm. Um. Yeah. Should we Should we introduce uh, this week's show? Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, let's get into it. So, uh, so we're gonna start. I'm gonna start this intro with a spoiler warning for people who are new to the series for at least the first three episodes, um, which includes like one of the bigger spoilers in the show. If you have not seen Madoka Magica uh, and would like to watch it, maybe do that now or whatever. Uh, anyway, here's uh, Madoka Magica. Airing in 2011, Puella Maji Madoka Magica is a deconstruction of the magical girl genre, an iteration of manga and anime that most often focuses on schoolgirls who transform into some kind of hero, exemplified by the iconic Sailor Moon. The title character Madoka Kaname, a kind and unassuming 14-year-old girl, meets the adorable cat-like creature Kyubei, who offers her the chance to have any wish granted in exchange for becoming a magical girl and fighting creatures called witches. Madoka joins a cast of characters, including her idealistic and headstrong best friend Sayaka Miki, confident, cool, older magical girl Mami Tomoe, and Homura Kemi, a mysterious transfer student who hates Kyubei and wants to prevent Madoka from becoming a magical girl. The series is broadly credited to an artistic collective named Magica Quartet, including director Akiyuki Shinbo, character designer Ume Aoki, producer Atsuhiro Iwakami, and perhaps most notably uh, for Western viewers, writer Gen Urobuchi, who you might know from his work on The Psychopaths or Fate Zero, or uh, if you're me, the Thai, uh, the Taiwanese puppet uh, martial arts show Thunderbolt Fantasy. Um <laughs> And I want to drop, before we sort of, like, get into our general impressions, uh, I want to drop a couple of interesting production facts uh, about the show. So uh, Shinbo sort of came up doing episode direction on the Dark Tournament arc of Yu Yu Hakusho, which if you know anything about Yu Yu Hakusho, you know that there's a dark tournament. It's very dark. There's people, you know, fighting each other with yo-yos and stuff. Uh and people really were like, this guy knows what's up. He also has apparently directed several hentai series uh, <laughs> under the pseudonym Juhachi uh, Minamizawa. Uh, Do we know which ones? Yeah, I can read you the names if you want. I mean, I probably want to hear the names. Yeah, okay, hold on. I'm well, I mean, you pull... gotta tell me the names. They're, they're, okay. You can't just drop that on me. Uh, the names of, of his hentai series are... <clears throat> Sibling Secret. Oh my god. 2002. That starts so bad. Blood Royale, also 2002. Nurse Me, exclamation mm. point. 
Swallowtail Inn <laughs> and Temptation. None of these have their own Wikipedia pages, by the way. He got rid of all of them. He's like, you can't like. Yeah, he, he got the internet archive shut down. Yeah, he didn't want to find his uh, his old uh, porn anime. Listen, I've made a very very serious, critically beloved series about femininity. I can't have people it's watching my head time. Sibling alert. Or whatever. <laughs> uh, uh, sibling secret. And uh, the other thing that Shinbo uh, did that I, I want to sort of call attention to is he really was the one who pushed for uh, the sort of tone of the show to be like, you know, as sort of dark and grim and bloody as it is. Uh, he and Iwakami d- apparently did not know. So if you're not familiar with his work, Gen Urobuchi is known for doing this sort of like very dark uh, like deconstructive writing, and they were like, "Hey, do you mind if you kill some of the magical girls?" And Gendrubuji was like, "Don't worry, I got you." <laughs> like <laughs> it was already in the notes. Um, uh-huh. And Shinbo also was the person who, uh, and I don't think either of us watched this when it aired. Uh, he was the person who pushed for it to be marketed as an extremely innocuous magical girl show. Uh, which, yeah, so I, I'm curious, Kieran, what, uh, if you knew anything about it going in, because the first thing I learned about this show in, like, 2016, I think, was that when it first aired, people thought it was going to be a sort of, like, very lighthearted, nice show about magical girls and their cat friend, uh, and that is not what the show is. Yeah. Uh, no, all I knew about it was uh, as it, that it was referenced to my work a couple of times, mm. and that once it's been referenced to my work, it normally means oh, it's going to be pretty murdering. Mm. You know, <laughs> a lot of people will be crying and they'll be murdering, and you know, probably a deconstruction. Do you know what I mean? So I went in with that loaded, mm. I guess. Um, so I wasn't surprised per se, but I was certainly delighted to see it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mira, what's what's your uh, history with this show? Um. This is one of like the first modern anime that I watched. Um, I saw it back in like 2000. When did it air? 2011. Okay. So I would have seen it in 2012 or 2013. And uh, I uh, I don't remember what got me to watch it. Um, but it was right as I was uh, leaving Seattle and moving back to uh, Toronto when I uh, quit grad school. And... Um, yeah, I just remember being like, damn, this is really depressing. I'm really depressed right now. I think this is probably making it worse. Um, <laughs> but I did watch the whole thing. And um, yeah, and and I never really got into any of the like, you know, subsequent uh, series or like <clears throat> movies or whatever. I know there's a lot of spinoffs of this because it weirdly became a successful Magical Girl franchise. And so there is all this other material now. Uh, I haven't seen any of that. I just... Uh, saw it so like almost 10 years ago i guess wow cool what about you oh uh i watched this for the first time i think in late 2016 somewhere in 2016 and then i did i like re-listened to this uh uh emily yoshida used to have an anime podcast called it's cool to like anime uh, in, in which I did an episode about Madoka and I listened to that recording from like three years ago and it was extremely weird. Uh, so I, I, my first memories of this are in trying to think about it too much. Uh, and I have rewatched it a couple of times since then, largely, like you said, when I have been extremely depressed and I'm sort of like, you know, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the meme that just is like press button to hurt yourself. Like, mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, and and particularly there are like a couple of things from the show that have like really stuck with me that I we can sort of like get into as we we come to them. Um, yeah, do we want? I mean, can we? We should start with your sort of like general impressions uh, of of stuff that you liked or didn't like about the show because we have some notes on stuff about it and characters, but we can sort of like go through that as the wind takes us. I mean, so I've got one. I've got um, my very rough notes. I wrote down some random sentences. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> this is one of the things. Like they're the things I always want to just chip in randomly. Uh-huh. Drunk mom equals awesome! Exclamation mark in brackets with a question mark. <laughs> uh, so uh, that's about some of the stuff. I basically, I mean, I'm what I'm going to probably. The reason I said I haven't watched much by myself is that the, the space to do it. I watched this whilst dry brushing some Warhammer miniatures. Um, <laughs> And that's kind of like, and I managed to do it without missing, and and I stopped when anything got too incredibly visual, and so I got my attention. So I'm going to go off and watch the rest of this now. That's kind of my takeaway. I said, oh no, I want to know what happens. Mm-hmm. As in, I, I mean, just coming in with my deconstructionary mindset in, I automatically didn't trust anybody. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was, first, my biggest shock was, wasn't the person dying at the end of season three, episode three, it was much more the, oh, I just presumed she was evil. She was clearly right. being manipulative. Uh-huh. You know, she's, I, I just maybe I just distrust anyone with blonde and ringlets. Maybe that's the <laughs> thing. But like from the office, like if the first thing a magical cap says to you is "I need you to sign a contract," it's like no, I'm automatically suspicious. <laughs> right. That's like hundred percent. You know, um, talking about my somebody who really does like Fausti and Pax as a narrative structure. Mm-hmm. Like you know, the second you know, but drilling down, I liked. Um, I like you know the, what what the cost of wishes, as in what what do you actually what do you what would you want. You know, and that, that immediately becomes a question of character. Mm-hmm. I really liked um, uh, all the, uh, the the hell world, the other worlds they go to. The animation styles there is really interesting. But, you know, so it's, immediately you are going to a different place. It's using the medium well. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, I liked how it was robustly genre and tropey. You know, you talk about being deconstructionary, but it's still kind of got the, um, it's got the elements which I recognize for, from, um, even somebody who, as I said, I'm not somebody who watches has watched much Magical Girl. Even my pop cultural understanding of it was tickled. So there was a deconstruction which somebody who was not incredibly well versed in it mm-hmm. can still kind of get. That's that's kind of the art, that's the artful thing I think. Um, so yeah, I liked it a lot. I can certainly write it and I'll shout out random words randomly. Um, but yeah, I, I'm um, anything else? Yeah, that's it. I want to watch some more of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Is is there there any of that that you sort of want to like zoom in on for a second? I think there's like a lot of stuff that we could we could start with. God. Um I mean we could talk about sort of the magical girl genre. Like I have a little bit of some, oh, you some notes on that that we can yeah. Okay, we yeah. Want, sort so of. like we can talk about like yeah. the tropes that it does incorporate and and the ways that it sort of picks apart those yeah. tropes. Uh, so this this research is uh, primarily taken from a Nippon.com article called Children of Sailor Moon, the Evolution of Magical Girls in Japanese Anime. So the, the Maho Shoujo uh, genre dates back to the 50s in manga and the 60s in anime. The earliest magical girl anime uh, named Sally the Witch was heavily influenced by Bewitched, which I think is a really interesting grounding for this show that mm. like the entire magical girl genre is in some ways a response to this like 
very Western fantasy of having, like, a woman who will do stuff for you by, like, wiggling her nose or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as a sort of brief side note, I wanted to add here, uh, I told you this earlier, there is an early 70s magical girl anime called Mahotsukai Chappie or Chappie the Witch. Um, And some people on the internet might note that actually is the real origin of the that's Chappie meme, because the thing that she says in order to transform into a magical girl is she has to sort of whisper to somebody that's Chappie. Oh my god, I can't Um, believe you've done this. That's that's canon now. Oh my god. Uh, That is is in the historical record. Uh Uh, uh, But it, it really ties into, at least to me was, like, the most interesting thing about the show, which is that the wishes for me are, like, representations of different ways of, like, being a woman, basically, right? That, like, all of the magical girls are, like, 13 or 14, and then when they use their wish, it, like, commits them to a particular archetype um, of, like, what, like, womanhood like means to them and then the show is just like every single one of these choices you could possibly make sucks and is bad uh and you shouldn't do it uh which which maybe yeah is a way for us to start talking about the the central characters Um, right so madoka is the main character sort of the viewer pov character who doesn't become a magical girl uh for well for a long time um spoilers she does uh but so she's sort of like looking for the right wish to make uh you've got sayaka miki makes the wish for the well that's that's so that's not until later oh that's not until later but they do talk about in episode three i think we can talk okay about yeah because you here you you know what her wish is going to be right she like talks about it in the in episode three yeah, it's un- it'll be unsurprising if it's not that wish you know yeah, what i mean yeah. but- uh yeah her wish is to like heal the violinist that she likes yes um, who's also, I need to, one of my favorite things about the show is that every single room is enormous. Oh yeah. It has like this great, like anime trope of just like every room is uh, like unbearably huge. And there's so few other people yeah. uh, in most of the shots, as far as I recall. And like, they're just these cavernous spaces. Yeah. Uh, which you get in like the bathroom in the scene when like you're talking about Monica and her mom are like brushing their teeth in, in front of the, in the enormous bathroom and like mommy's apartment is enormous and this hotel room has like bookshelves and, or uh, hospital room has like bookshelves and stuff <laughs> it's a nice hospital uh yeah and she does that has this like very self-sacrificing like instinct um and mommy i think like correctly is like yo you gotta think about this like because you your wish really is for him to like you your wish is not for him to to have a, his hand better right right what was mommy's wish again uh, to not die. Oh, right. Yeah. We, she was going to, she was going to be getting hit by a car. Or yes. She, she, we get this like flashback scene of her. She's like in the car wreckage. And then Kyube just shows up and is like, Hey, right. <laughs> Want to not die. Um, was, that was the moment when I thought, Oh, maybe she isn't bad after all. You know what I mean? That kind of like, cause the whole thing has been slanting to my suspicion. And then you yeah. get the oh, getting character development. And of course, getting character development is always a warning sign. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We want you to become invested in this character before we gruesomely decapitate yeah. them. There's, it's so, because it's like that, and then I think that's like right after the conversation she has with Madoka, where she's like, actually, my life sucks and I don't like it. You know, it's like a very lonely, even though I get to live in this cool, like, adult apartment by myself. Um, 
and like eat because all her these. parents are dead, right? Yes, her parents are dead. She notably does not use her wish to uh, save, save her, parents. her parents as well. Uh, uh, there's yeah. so few adults in this show. Yes, there are very very They're, few like, adults. Madoka's in the show. mom is maybe is she the only named it's adult? Madoka's parents and the yes, and the teacher. Oh right, whose yeah. lessons are all about the fact that like men don't like her. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, there's a fan theory actually that that teacher is a magical girl. Which oh. I think is like, I don't know if I buy that, but it's very funny that people think that. that yeah, I bet there's like a million like YouTube videos I could search for that are just like, fan theory, Monica was dead the whole time. And yeah. it's like, guys, can we not? We can't, yeah, <laughs> we it's like can't. actually pretty clear about, you know, like at least some of the stuff. Uh, hmm. God, well, I love the, I love the mom. I especially love her dad. Like, I love that her dad is just like her mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And the, the mom comes home like really drunk and is like, oh, like there's like this, that scene where Madoka, uh, I think asks her mother if she has considered trying to take over the company. Uh, and her mom's like, I never thought about that before. But if I was going to, I would need to win over this guy and this guy and this uh-huh. guy. And like, she clearly has like a map of all the people. <laughs> You know, that she she would need to, like, get to vote for her to become the CEO or, or something. Um, and, like, I don't know. What what do you, Mary, how do you feel about that, that character? Because, like, I don't know what example she's supposed to be setting or, like, what she is representing as far as the show's, like, approach to, to womanhood and, like, what people get out of their lives. I don't know. I mean, I think what I was struck by when I first watched the show was just, like, how distant all of these characters are like all of the adult characters, mm-hmm. even like the mother to an extent, I feel like. And um, it really does feel like the main characters are alone in this universe, like this empty cavernous universe where they have to make these like impossible choices and the world sucks. And it's pretty transparently like, Oh, it sucks to be a teen girl. <laughs> like it's very bad. It's very isolating. It's very lonely. Um, and no one can really help you out of it. Um, uh, yeah. Except Kyube. Except Kyube. Well, yeah, kind of. He he wants to help you. Well, he does. You just yeah. you gotta. You so gotta... We, we get one of the big spoilers. It's not even a spoiler, really, in um, the third episode. But then there are more yes. later on. Um, and I mean, do we want to talk about them? I don't know. It, it, yeah, Kieran, are you, how your... invested are you in going in blind to the later stuff? Um, I mean, that depends. What would you, what would your audience be expecting? Would be my thing. I'm, I'm fine with that. As I said, I am going to watch it. So I'm yeah. sort of, I'm invested enough to watch it. Okay. Uh, but like, I think um, it's compelling, even if you know, like it's compelling. Okay. And, and okay. also I think any show that you, like if you learn the spoiler, you don't want to watch it. It was probably not that good yeah. to begin with. Um, mm. Our audience, I think, you know, would expect us to talk about the whole thing. So basically as the series goes on, um, we learned that, witches are are magical girls so uh magical girls have these the soul gems uh that they get when they transform which contain their power and they have to purify them by killing witches but eventually it becomes so filled up with grief and misery that it turns into a grief seed and creates a witch uh and we learn that there's like reasons for like why that happens. They actually aren't that important, I don't think. Which I think the thing that is important is just like they're sort of the moment. Like you know how there's like a moment and stuff like this where someone says the title of the thing yeah. or is like this is Independence Day or whatever. Uh, there's a moment where Cube says 
Like, it's so appropriate that we call them magical girls because magical girls grow up to be witches. And you're like, oh, shit. Like, I get right. what he, I see what he did there. It's like about it's a whole he's an alien and they want to they need to harvest emotional energy to like to whole counteract thing. entropy. <laughs> well, and I do think it's like the metaphor of it is very blunt, but it's like the emotional turmoil and like yearning uh, and sort of like teen angst of girls, like literally powers the world, right? Is sort of the central metaphor. Mm. Is that fair? Do you think that's a fair characterization? Uh, yeah, I don't know. For me, it would be more like, um, we like that. Yeah, I mean, yes, in a sinister way. Yeah, no, exactly. The world, okay, yeah. the world, the world like, runs on consuming, on like, consuming it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. You know, capitalism. And, um, there is an essay that I won't read all of uh, called uh, Marxism Magica. I just want everyone oh to know God. that of it exists. Of course there is. Of course there <laughs> is. You know, I mean, I've seen enough uh, anime avatars who are uh, like uh, Maoists that, to know that that was inevitable. Um, but yeah. Malika, Malika Magica. Malika Magica. <laughs> <laughs> Someone give me, this, give me the Photoshop. So basically we learned that uh, when witches or when uh, magical girls make a wish, their soul is transported into that gem. And they, they basically die. They basically die. Um, we learned this when uh, Sayaka's soul gem is separated from her body when Madoka throws it to try and stop her from fighting and her body just collapses. <laughs> um, so their bodies are just basically empty shells at this point. And... Um, we also later learn what Homura is about. I, I think we should is. wait to we talk can about leave that. Yeah, I think we now. should wait to talk about that because I think now if we want to talk about like the magical girl sort of archetype and like what the show is saying about yeah, it. Yeah, 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 sure. Um, because also the other thing, like I think you could make a version of the show that is about idols mm. because so much of the premise especially in these first couple episodes is about creating an ecosystem in which Cubay goes around telling all of the girls that they're special but also that they have to fight each other mm -hmm. in order to sort of like acquire the grief seeds or whatever other like precious resource um and you know i the show is not especially subtle with this metaphor. Like there literally is a line in episode three where I think mommy says to Cube, uh, no one likes a boy who pressures girls into things, uh, which, you know, is sort of like you turn on the neon light and you're like, Hey, you guys missed the subtext. God. We, we have it here for you. Uh, -huh. uh, uh, but that, that, Kyubei, even though Kyubei has no sort of like outward gender, like almost everyone refers to Kyubei as male. Um, and that that is very, feels very fundamental to the like mm -hmm. story that the show is telling. Yeah. Yeah, Kieran, what was your, your impression of, of Kyubei? I feel like he, it's hard. So far, the reason why I'm also like, when I was watching it, I was, I set up the fact it's being referenced a little to, in my stuff. I'm, I'm always comparing it to, okay, what, what were they reaching for? And yeah. of course they're reaching, uh, the, one of the books I do called The Wicked Divine does involve a character called Ananke who is pretty much clearly like, watches up to his kind of in the dark for a long period of time, mm -hmm. but she's clearly manipulating these slightly, um, these children who uh, who really don't know any better into making bad decisions. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm offering them everything they want. And that kind of that that core dynamic, <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh yeah, that's one of the things that made me automatically assume 
in this guy. Okay, I see where this must presumably be going. Um, never trust anything that's cute, as I've said. It's my immediate response to it. I the sort of the, the other side of it, I found myself thinking. As you say, you know, this is very much about how um, all the ideas of how it, how it is to be a woman are traps and the, you know, that, mm-hmm. that element there. And I found myself, it's so weird to have the father figure as this kind of like, kind of two-dimensional positive view of how masculinity could be. Mm. I found that quite interesting as a kind of sub-note in there. And the other thing I found myself thinking when listening was um, how it accepts a magical girl without ever questioning it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it knows its audience. It, you know, there's no point in any character goes, oh, what does it, what, you know, you turn me into a magical girl, what does that mean? Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> and not even like, even if you were doing like um, most superhero co- comics, even from scratch would be, oh, I'm a superhero like something. You know, they would say that, you mm-hmm. know, uh, I'm not going to be like Superman. And that kind of accepted magical girl as a as a noun in the same way you might accept, I don't know, um, butcher, you know? It's just simply something that is. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's an interesting tension between all those things there in terms of like what is a role, how are people lured into roles, um, that. Anyway, that's a, a quick download of thoughts there, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think that stuff like it feels to me like it makes the world of the show smaller in a way that I think is really good. Like it's really mm. claustrophobic, mm. even though all of the outdoor spaces are so big. Like, like you said, Merritt, like the characters are always alone. Uh, and it really does. I feel like it has that feeling of like being stuck in like a big house, but not really having anything to do. Mm. Uh, and, you know, sort of just having to stew on your own. Um, you know, your own feelings, uh, which I think is also why the sort of, you know, the end of episode three, when uh, mommy gets her head bit off uh, is so sad because the scene right before it is a, like explicitly her trying to make an actual connection with Madoka. Um, mm. Right. Right. Cause Madoka, uh, says, oh, I, like, don't really have anything I want to wish for. I just want to be a magical girl because I want to help people because she's a beautiful idiot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, but then Mommy's like, okay, great. Like, we'll go on this mission. And then when we get back, if you haven't thought of anything, uh, we can just wish for a big cake. Oh, my God. And, and yeah, you, you're like, uh, unfortunately, I think you could say that this cake was a lie. Would you say that's a fair description? I've, I've, I've canceled the podcast. <laughs> yeah. You're fired. <laughs> uh, so something when you were talking about a house, I just had this thought that um, this show is just a trapped in the house horror movie and the house is being alive. <laughs> Yeah. The house is being alive is like being a teen girl um, because there is no escape and you're trapped in this house and the characters are trapped in this world in a very literal way uh, as the series goes on that like they are trying to find ways out and uh, there are no ways out. I found myself, um, uh, I've just been re- reading Beowulf for various reasons mm-hmm. for work, um, but the bone house being one of the famous metaphors, and the bone house is your tr- is your chest, is your body, as in mm. the, the bone house is being alive. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know the, the haunted house is just that. Uh, I, just, I think the, the size, of, you're talking about how big the settings are, everything is just so much bigger than you. You know what I mean? Mm. And it's empty, yeah. and, and you just, you're these tiny atomic peoples bouncing around inside it. I think a haunted house is a good way of looking at it, especially with 
there's so much ghost stuff in there, especially the the, ha- the haunting beneath the stairs of it all. You know, mm-hmm. like when they to go to a, a witch world, it or it feel you know it, it's the things creeping around in the basement of the subconscious or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the witch stuff. Like now that we're talking about it, it it's interesting. Like this show almost feels like what these characters might like make up as like a game, right? They're like, oh, we're playing magical girls. Like what if there was a witch under the stairs and then we had to fight it? Uh, and mm-hmm. it, so it has that kind of like whimsy to it, especially with the way that the art gets wild, kind of like an Azuken when the characters go on like adventures a little with bit. sketches. Yeah, although the, the animation style, also just like as we talk about this, the animation for the labyrinths and the witches is done by this troupe called uh, Gekidan Inukuri, they are primarily inspired by like Soviet and Czech animation. That makes sense. Uh, so mm-hmm. you you get this very like <clears throat> I I did not know enough about that history. So the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, is this just like fucked up Terry Gilliam? And like, no, it's not. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but that it, it sort of has like the art style changing tells you oh we're in a different place, and also that it becomes so foreign i mean kieran you mentioned faust uh a while ago and like almost every witch scene i think has some like flashed rune or text that is just like a direct quote from faust and there's like a lot of stuff like that that gets sort of like slowly embedded in the series uh although it mostly comes from the animation staff actually it wasn't i don't think that was urubuchi i think some of the people on the production staff were like this is like pretty faustian actually what if we just like put faust in it <laughs> what if we just made the the subtext text yeah like literally text. yeah so no it's like literally text which also i think is why because they don't specify this in the show um but the the because you get these like runes that flash on the screen whenever they introduce the witches and the witches all have germanic names um so the one that kills mommy is is named Charlotte. Charlotte, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, and the first one is named Gertrude, I believe. That sounds right. Uh, and there's like another one named like Octavia. Um, you know, and, and that's the big one. Yes. Uh, yeah, the Walpurgisnacht. big one. Walpurgis knocked. Uh, and <laughs> uh, it gives, I think, this sense of like. Yeah, it, it, I think you're right. It has this like very imaginary quality that makes it easy to distance yourself from it until that shot where the giant adorable caterpillar just like kind of chomps down right. on on her head. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's beautifully shot. That's one of the in terms of the composition of that shot. Yeah. In terms of like where you choose to cut the body, where you choose to lose the weight, it's like you could have made it more even more exploitative if you wanted. But they, I think they've managed to balance the brutality of the moment with the. Um, the effect, especially because it's, as you say, it's such a weird-looking creature, anyway. So it's hard to take it seriously until, like, literally, oh no, but you know, there goes your head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's making me think about. I mean, Alice was obviously the obvious reference. I kept on thinking. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> there's the kind of the the bad Alice bit. All is certainly there. Yeah, and there's there's I love that that scene. Like, it clearly is designed to sort of punch you in the gut. But it, the way it communicates that mommy is dead is, like, not even by lingering on the body. It cuts yeah. back to Homura because mm-hmm. mommy has, like, tied her up with magic and the, the ropes, like, disappear. And Homura's like, ah, I see what has happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's just such a good way of communicating that information so that it doesn't, like, wallow in the fact that this character is dead. It's like, okay, like, what's everyone going to do now? Mm-hmm. Um 
that I find really interesting. And what, what was your 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 first impression of of that character of Homura? Sorry, is that directed at me or uh, yeah, it's directed at you, Homer. Um, Homer being I've, one with the longest hair. Yes, yeah, I, I she's, missed all the she's names. the she's the transfer student. Yes, I wrote a, a in that this is a, that, this is how I pick up most terminology from anime that I don't know. Uh, normally, if someone has described some of my work, I wrote Sasundra question mark uh, <laughs> when it on screen. Was that, that that's correct use of that word? Yes or not? I, yeah, I think that's yeah. Oh, it's Sundara. Yeah, I think I think uh, she she has like some. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I think so, and there is a very good reason for that. Yes. I mean, um, is this where we want to talk? Do about we want to talk that about character? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so Homura, um, we learn in a later episode. I think it's the second to last episode. It's it's nine or ten. It's not the set. It's the episode ten is the one that is like about her. Yes. Okay. Um, we learn that she is from an alternate timeline. Uh, uh, in which Madoka uh, was already a magical was girl. Already a magical girl. Uh, Valpurgis knocked, which is sort of referenced more and more as the series goes on, and no one really knows what it is except for this. Bi- it's a big witch. It's, it's it's the implication is that it's like all of the witches. Yeah, it's like a hurricane made of witches. Basically. Right, it's when all the witches get together for to for t- the to German festival. Yeah, Valpurgis knocked. Valpurgis knocked. Um, and uh, it's sort of coming, and uh, in this in that timeline. Uh, Madoka had become a magical girl, but not Homura, right? Yes. Because Madoka tries to fight Valpurgisnacht, and they both get killed, and as they're dying... Uh, Homura has not made her wish she's yet. She's not made her wish yet, and then she makes the wish to... To be able to go back and redo her meeting with Madoka and save her. Right. Uh, which gives her the ability to essentially do, like, your sort of classic time loop. Uh, yeah, yeah. Where and, she does uh, this month or however long it yeah. is over and over. And yeah, it's uh, it's not just like this isn't the first time. She's basically gone through the loop so many times because she just can't. It's at least seven, yeah, if not more. It's a lot, I think, um, because she can't find a way to like resolve the situation correctly. And in, in creating this time loop that's sort of focused on Madoka, she's basically become the most important person in the universe. Because yeah. uh, everyone spends a lot of time over the course of the show being like, why does Madoka have this much potential as a magical girl? Right. Like, she shouldn't be this important. She's just and like some some dumbass. Some girl, yeah. yeah. And the reason, it turns out, is because Homura cares so much and has invested so much time into trying to save her. Um which becomes like slightly more obvious, like Yuri subtext, I think, sure. like later on, right? That that there's like some romantic relationship there, uh, but that this this character has just sort of like kept trying to do this over and over again. Merritt, do you know what what Madoka's original wish was in that first timeline? Uh, no, I forget. So, well, they don't say it explicitly. Okay. Her original wish was for Kyube to save a cat that had died. Oh, yeah. Like a stray cat. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so she just was like a normal uh, magical girl and uh, <laughs> and then, you know, tries to fight this huge monster and, and fails. And they all fail. Like, they're all killed. Um, so Homura has basically watched Madoka die, like... A lot. A, again and again and again. Um, and so then basically like changes her plan to just kill the thing on her own yeah 
which she does by using her like little time pockets. There's she like spends like one cycle at least like teaching herself how to make bombs, which I love. Mm-hmm. And she just like has bombs with her like at all well, times. And she just also starts stealing guns. Yes, from yeah, from she, like the army. Uh, so her good. like when she shows up, it's kind of wild because everyone else has like. Well, I guess mommy has has guns, right? She mommy has big guns, yeah. yeah. Which I think is part of the like. She very much, I think, is the closest to the thing that the show is like satirizing a little bit, uh-huh. right? Like she's the one who's like, look at this like hot magical girl who yeah. lives in like a cool apartment, but she has big gun, you know? Yeah, her gun's not the only thing. Jesus, she uh, of all the characters is just like, hey, what's up? I'm an anime girl. Yes. <laughs> I've got gigantic yabos. Uh, which is cute, cute. that's that was her wish actually. Yeah, just, like, just choice. Badonkadonks. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, she and Hamura are both like sort of the most like mature of the show, and um, they both use guns. And um, mommy dies really early, and then Homura is like faced with dealing with like all of this stuff is put on her. Um, and I just find that interesting. Like the sort of, I don't know, puberty metaphor almost of like growing up and, um, now you're in the world of guns. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Now, now you it's have not to fun and games anymore. You no, know? you have to shoot missile at this uh, at this doll person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, actually, while while we're on that, unless is there another Homer thing you want to talk about? Uh, no. Do we want to just sort of talk about what happens, or sure. is that not yeah. really important? No, we could do that. Like the ending. Oh, I see. I thought you were talking about in the episodes that we watched. Because oh, okay, we're still yeah. nominally talking about the first three episodes. Yeah, let's talk about Maybe the first. Maybe we should do that back. before let's we go do back. that. And I don't know that it's actually that important to talk about like their ending in the show. I don't think so. Um, we've sort of gotten the the highlights. But yeah, let's uh, let's go back. Well, because we meet Homura in this, this dream, right? Madoka has what she thinks is a dream uh, in which she sees Homura fighting this like big monster thing that we later learn is Walpurgis knocked. Um, and then she wakes up and goes to school with Sayaka and their other friend, Hitomi. Uh, Kira, I'm curious what your impression is of Hitomi at this point, because I think she is the character who sort of like my understanding is the the fandom like hates this character. Uh, Hitomi being the purple, the turquoise haired friend or the other one? Uh, I think the other one. She's like has like brown hair. She's like their third friend. The one who runs off up saying that saying that girls shouldn't kiss girls. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yes. Oh my god! I found that the, single most, the single most upsetting moment I heard, like <laughs> like literal the kind of the fear of it. It's like and it's like please, you know, uh, that kind of like internalized homophobia of her. I got of it. <laughs> That's that kind of I did, and I, I I absolutely read that moment as oh no, she's clearly gay. You know that kind of thing. Um, so that was my main impression. I think I was saying earlier about the the, the fineness of the characters. As in, like, obviously they're playing all these games around. All the cats, they're, like, quite central casting of trope. You know, we've got the insecure kind of, absolutely insecure lead. Uh, we've got the, the slightly peckier friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got the mysterious stranger who's just arrived. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of, like, the broadness. So I just kind of found her with that, I guess. As in, I was kind of hoping she would end up being more than that. The, the, the pretty distant aspect to her, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, but I haven't really got much of her yet, I guess. Yeah, she doesn't do a lot. She, um, she though, I think, is the most emotionally intelligent of all of the girls on the show. 
<laughs> I, I, so. Well, so so this is like also a spoiler. So she she later on in the season, um, she goes to Sayaka and says, Sayaka, I know that you've been friends with this guy, Kyosuke, for a long time. And like, I'm emotionally intelligent enough to know that you're trying to bone down. I also am into him. But I know that you have known him for a long time, so I will give you like a day or two to confess your feelings if you want to pursue him. And if you don't, then like I will ask him out, but I want to give you that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like by far the most selfless, I think, and emotionally intelligent thing, other than sort of obviously Homura like repeatedly destroying the world. Uh, but like outside of the fantasy setting, is like the most I think empathetic thing that any of the girls does over the course of this the, the show, and is sort of the most impressive for like a fourteen year old. And so, why does the fan base hate her then? Uh, I think that's why. I think because <laughs> I think it's I like think, that's partly I think why girls shouldn't kiss girls. Line. Like I just went to like I searched her on Google Images, and they're all just like. I hate her. <laughs> uh, and also, yeah, I mean, she doesn't become a magical girl, so I sh- I, she's sort of framed in this it's ne- she, negative way. She, she, people also, I think, like, like, I love Sayaka. I think that that character arc is, like, for me, the most interesting part of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, understandably, people who, like, identify with that character a lot are like, I can't believe that Hitomi would do this. Right. Uh, like, even though she's, like, very reasonable about it. Yeah. Like, more so than she needs to be, probably. Uh, but, yeah, she and she just sort of, like, is there in a way that I find really funny. Because, like, there are almost no other characters that just, like, are there. Everyone else, uh, you know, like we've been been saying, gets, like, woven into this in some way. Um, Hotomi also, in I think episode three, right? Oh, That's the yeah. one with the almost, witch's kiss. Almost kills herself. Yeah. Uh, which is also maybe an interesting way to talk about the witches. Like, there clearly is some kind of, like, um, what are the thi- Are they called specters in his dark materials? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, the things that, like... The ghost the things ghosts that, that are trapped in ghost world, but then if they get out, they like attach themselves to people and slowly kill them. Yeah, and it like making like I think Will's mom like becomes like depressed because of that, and it's like used as this like mental illness metaphor. Yeah, um, which I think clearly is also what's happening with the witches here mm. in some way. Yeah, in some way, I I think partly. Um, I mean, obviously, the witches are just like the grief and like pain of growing up of like because that's what a lot of the show is obviously is like it does sort of say like okay there is some innocence in childhood and like that is there um obviously it's fraught with like a lot of trauma and things like that but like there is something there and then at some point you become this other thing and it's fucking awful and like from that perspective at least um like it's inevitable that eventually all magical girls will become witches. Um, the, the, that's the way the show frames it. Yeah. Because they just can't keep doing what they're doing forever. Um, at some point, you have to, like, put down your your like heart wand or whatever. Or bow. Or, or bow. Or and, and turn into this thing. Um, and I don't think it's a coincidence that they're, they're called witches. Not just because of, like, the magical girl, you know, is, like, a younger form of them. But, like, witches in western thought at least and i'm not sure about like japanese history or mythology but 
are coded as like old hags, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's definitely the implication. Yeah, right. It's like just growing up and becoming this weird monster. Um, and like, what's the, so there's there's the caterpillar. Which, well, yeah, that's like the doll one. The it's doll the same one. one. Okay, and then what is this one? The one that um, is making them making people commit suicide? Uh, it's like a Hikikomori one, I think. It's like the one that's like all about like being really distant and isolated. I think it's that one. Right, okay. Because um, there's one that's like very screen-based. And then there's, this also is a spoiler, sort of, uh, I mean, we've already talked about it a lot. Sayaka, we like learn this information because Sayaka becomes a witch and her witch thing uh, is like music mm-hmm. because her grief is like centered around this boy. Um, and so she she like makes all these little like musicians that, you know, go off and like fight the other characters. Um, yeah, but the, the it almost feels hard to think of the witches as representing like one thing because like we're saying like the art style is so layered and like unsettling mm-hmm. that it feels more like you just are I mean th- they call these worlds labyrinths and I really do think that that is like intentional right that you're being drawn into the inner world of like whatever girl this witch used to be mm-hmm. and you don't necessarily know everything that's going on in there but like you know it's bad you know that she's not having a good time um but we we don't learn a ton of like necessarily who these people were although i will say there is and i i like i want to express this because it's ridiculous there is a, a shot uh toward the end of the series that looks at like magical girls throughout history and like one of them is pretty clearly supposed to be Anne frank and i don't know how to feel about that <laughs> wow i forgot that yeah you see like jo- wow. joan of arc is a magical girl like cleopatra is a magical girl uh, and then there's one of, like, a girl who's, like, sitting holding her soul gem, like, in a train car. And it's not explicit that it's Anne Frank, but, like, it pretty clearly mm-hmm. is. Which led me to discover uh, a Reddit thread titled, Is there a, a a respectful way to put Anne Frank in the Madoka Magica game? Oh, my God. And it's like... <laughs> <laughs> the answer is... No, I wish this was the video. My face right now, there's a video podcast version of this, and my face has just been in a little wince. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I like the answer is obviously no, but it also is extremely funny that someone posted that and yeah. was like, I, I'm, I'm most offended. Sorry, no, I'm no, most no. offended that um, Cleopatra. It's like Cleopatra did most of the stuff as an old woman. She's not a magical right. girl, you know. Kind of like that's just abstract. That's just wrong. That's just the wrong <laughs> metaphor. Uh, yeah, it's it, it maybe maybe it's Nefertiti. I don't. There's like a it's like a, a sort of like ancient Egyptian. Magical girl. It also is funny to me that I guess Joan of Arc is the one that works the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but also, it's just like I don't know. It, it's one of the rare moments I think where the sort of broader like thing that the show is saying feels like kind of a little bit over the top, and it's like I don't think we needed to go there. I don't know if you necessarily, especially because it's like I don't know. I feel like if I was Anne Frank. I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe you're doing this either. I shouldn't do this. But, like, if you have to think about that for a second, like, she clearly did not use her wish well if Anne Frank is canonically... Wow. Is that... Is that... Should I... Should we cut that? 
Are you well? I'm I mean, serious, but no. I just I think it's a de- the decision to have her be part of this legacy. I think is mistaken. No, yeah, it's she a, does not fit with the other. Uh, a whoopsie for sure. Yes, she she does not fit with because like like we're saying earlier, the show is about like pop stars and like idols and people whose femininity is used as a public resource. Uh-huh. And that is that like, clearly you can say that that's what happens with, and that's like yeah. happening now, right? Like Anne Frank has become this big symbol, like political symbol in the last couple of months, especially. Yeah. Uh, but like, that is not what her life was like. Sure. And it, I think that just sort of is like, you maybe could have picked a different one. I think that's sort of my, okay. my feeling about it. Um, uh, but it is. I, I just want to point out that Eric is Jewish. Yes. Yeah. So, I'm gonna, uh, yeah. I, for I, any I, listeners who thought that that was a big anti-Semitism, I don't think it was. Uh, well, yeah. I'm, I I literally spent have spent like some of the last months like helping people project like do yes. and Frank projections yeah. on the sides of buildings to talk about like health conditions in in ice concentration camps. I, I know this about you. Uh. Uh. But but that that. That I think it just says something about the plasticity of the story, yeah, right, and that people feel entitled to it in some way. And maybe that, as I'm thinking about this out loud, is like part of what feels wrong about it to me mm. that so much of the show is about how everybody, like, especially QBA, but a lot of people feel entitled to the magical girl energy, basically, right, like, whatever mm-hmm. it's representing, and that. This type of historical recontextualization, I think, is like kind of doing the same thing uh, from the standpoint of the of the production. Yeah. yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think that's like why it it sits weird with me because. Sure. It, well, yeah, I think that speaks to a broader point, which is like how successful is this show at uh, deconstructing this genre? Because like the fact that this show has become popular amongst uh we could call them i don't know what like male gamers gamers gamer americans gamer americans like that's the politically correct term right so when they were making the show um they were just like oh we want to make something that appeals to a broader like not just the traditional audience of this genre um and weirdly in doing so i feel like they made a show that um has an appeal to gamer americans which is weird um, because the show, like, you should take away things from the show that I don't think a lot of people do. Like, I think there's definitely, like, a wow, cool robots thing. Uh, and they're just like, wow, fucked up kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, that, to me, says maybe in some ways it's not as successful as they would have liked. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's always the hardest one in terms of, like, how much do you... Um, how much can you actually weigh an audience's response to the work versus the work itself. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, like, you, in some ways you really can't, like, you can't, if the work is strong enough, Yeah. like you can't aim for some people just, just going off in their own direction. Right? Yeah. At the same time, if the work also panders the, pe- the people that are trying to deconstruct a bit, right. that's a bit like, no, you're trying to have your, you're trying to have your cake and eat it there. Right. I mean, I, I found myself like obviously we were just talking about earlier about the historical thing is i'm not sure that even you know that that doesn't seem to make much sense in terms of like surely the, the metaphor the magical girl at least in the first three episodes is these girls are no difference to the world on the outside it's always it's, it's solely an internal thing this is yeah. all psychogeography right and in other words the and frank much as you question the taste of it, Anne Frank makes sense, as in she was just living her life right uh Joan of Arc actively doesn't Joan of Arc changed the you know western europe um, yeah. So like she had other things going on than fighting witches and in walls. 
Um, and yet there's like this stringent, I mean, I, I suppose like what I'm wondering about, obviously as I go further into it, I'll have opinions. The stri- how much you, is the stringency there? I mean, I found myself, we were talking earlier about the mental health metaphor at all. And I must admit, I found some of the mental health stuff the hardest to sort of like, what are you actually saying? Right, here? yeah. At the same time, understanding that actually just making it a kind of, if you nail down your metaphor too much, it becomes uh, um, uh, like a, a, a fable and yeah. it just become, it becomes horrible. And you don't also don't want that. Right. And I think the thing, uh, I, forget, actually, I should forget who actually said it, but it was the, um, the idea of going into the houses of the witch. This is the what? This is the witch's psychological house left over. This is like in the same way the movie Labyrinth was all basically uh, lead character from uh, lead character from Labyrinth psychological inner life dramatized, which we then navigated. Right, yeah. This is like a Labyrinth has collapsed in on itself and is now just solely in hell. Um, yeah, that that is still clearly talking about mental health, but I think in an indirect way, which props is probably more powerful than the direct way. Hmm. Hmm. But I don't know, like, Eric, you're more online in the anime (laughs) sense than me. Like, what do you I don't appreciate being libeled on this one? Yeah. Like, I I think it's it goes back to Evangelion, actually. Yeah. Where um that show is very successful at deconstructing some aspects of the giant robot genre. Um and then not so successful in some of its gender stuff where, uh, you know, Ray and Asuka have become two of the most, like, mm. uh, just desired anime characters. These, like, teens who are, uh, you know, there's, like, constant discussion of, like, who is best girl, Ray or Asuka. And, like, to some extent, yeah, you can't blame the, the creator for, like, that kind of response necessarily. But also, kind of, you can. Uh, and I think that show and this show, like, there are some parts where you kind of run up against, like, oh, this was made by a man. Um, mm. Like, that doesn't mean they can't do something interesting or valuable or good, because this show is all those things, I think. But there are these, like, moments, like in Eva, where it's just like, oh, this was made by a man, definitely. Because, like, there wouldn't be this particular thing in it if mm. it weren't. Isn't the opening shot of Madoka and Ash shot running it away is. from the camera? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's that. It's exactly that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is. And, and like, I think that's definitely true, especially, like, the characters. Uh, like, so much of it was written, I think, to conform to the character designs. And, like, my general feeling about this is that in order to do this type of subversion well you have to be able to do the genre sure yeah um right that's that's the line that kieran was talking about right yeah. of like how you have to incorporate it but if you go too far you're sort of just celebrating it right and that that um you know in in this case like as in ava i think it's really like i i don't know what it would look like for the the show to push that further um i do think that another similarity that they have that I find really interesting um, is that they sort of are like, here's this activity that if you are 18, you will think is cool, but like, why would you actually do this? Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and in Ava, there's this repetition of the question, like, why do you pilot the Ava? 
Um, you Why know, do like, you run? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's I mean, that's in in uh, in Devil Man. Yeah. But there's so much of like like why is Shinji piloting the Ava? Why is Asuka piloting the Ava? Uh, and I think the analog in this case is like, what is your wish? Yeah. Right. Like, what is the thing that you, especially later in the series, would willingly make this this deal for? Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I feel like so much of both of those shows are just like, why would somebody do that? Uh, and maybe some people just like can't get past the fact that the thing that they're doing looks cool. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I'm like yeah, saying something. It's, stuff a, that we it's said a wow, cool robot thing for sure. Yeah. Uh, side note, Kieran. Devil Man Crybaby was the first show we did for this podcast, and you have to watch it. It's fucking phenomenal. Uh, I will at least, uh, I'll give it the free issue of the episode watch we've decided upon here. Yes, yeah, that's what I did, and then was like, oh, well, fuck, I have to watch this whole thing. It's only like 10 episodes like this series, uh, so it's not too bad. It's good. It's that that kind of list of things I would eventually watch. Yes, I also have a list, and I understand how that goes, but... um, Yeah, we have, yeah. Yeah, like, and so part of that part of that stuff for me is like this show exists within a context of capitalist production. And obviously it does like everything does, but it's not outside of that. And so because it became a huge success, there is so much other crap about this show out there. There's like, uh, there's a mobile phone game. Like there's a gotcha game uh, of this. Um, There's like, audio stories there's movies there's like a a series coming out based on the video game yeah i think it aired last season yeah yeah Yeah. uh and it's like there are all there's also a sequel movie actually the other ones are all spinoffs but the sequel movie is like a direct sequel to and i'd be curious to know how many of like the original people had anything to do with those like quite Genera, a bit actually Genera-Buchi, did he write most yeah of them? so Genarabuchi, he did not write the game and he didn't write the show that's based on the game he did write the sequel movie um and shinbo the director i believe also directed the spinoff okay. he he i think is is the one of them who has been like the most consistently involved in the franchise i see uh i don't know i have like mixed feelings about this i think that there is something to the idea of like this is a franchise that is about like the sacrifices that people expect of girls and like what type of roles people expect them to play. And I feel like that central concept is plastic enough that you could conceivably imagine it applying in like sure. a lot of different, even historical contexts. I guess I or, just feel like the, uh, the fact that this show became a franchise is it's pretty funny. funny. It is pretty funny. Like that it has anything to do with that word is like because franchising is like what it's talking about kind of and there is no way to like ironically make money, right? Um like there's no way to ironically sell a figure, like a, a plastic figure of Madoka. You say that now. When well, no, next, next time, next time Comic Con happens, we'll find out. <laughs> I mean, you still bought it, right? Yeah, you still sold it. Money still changed hands, and it doesn't matter what, how many degrees of like ironic removal you've, are you've, involved. You've made the contract. You've literally made the contract, and like that's kind of you know with the idol metaphor is what the show is talking about of like how the ways that uh, women's lives and. Um, beliefs and thoughts and selves are like both the source for this like churning uh economy but also like they're sold to it as or um are sold to and are repackaged and sold 
um, as idols or like as merchandise or like as porn or like whatever. So as 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 a Shinbo Tentai series, like I wonder yeah. how many I bet there is a ton of Madoka, like explicit Madoka art, which is upsetting for a bunch of reasons. You I mean, obviously, there's a ton of it and it's just like. Well, I don't know what to think about that. That's a big issue that it's not just specific to the show. Well, I think, Carol, like you were saying, I think it just says something about the sort of like limitations of art, right? You sure. you can't you can't like beat people literally beat people over the head until they stop doing the thing you're telling them not right. to do. Right. At that point it's not a story, it's just a injunction. Right, exactly. Uh and like I don't know that. I mean, that basically, you know, they tried. Yeah, people I, are going to always take up stories in different ways. And I think an artist's responsibility to some extent is to consider uh, the ways that a work might be taken up or used in a particular moment. And obviously you can't predict all that. And you can also make yourself crazy trying to do that and be like, I'm going to create a work that is like unproblematic. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, I just mean like, I think they had to know. When they when they did it, that like, oh yeah, people are gonna want to fuck this character. Now and I'm you're wincing, wincing, but like now no, I'm wincing. But people, people no, I agree 100%, but people yeah. will, and like yeah. they knew that, and they're like, okay, well, that is something that is just gonna happen regardless, and we can't really do anything about that. So let's just go ahead and do it. Yeah, which I, I get. Obviously, it's really. I mean, to what somebody who works with artists, it's one of its problems. Like. Um, you end up talking about collaboration as well. Yeah. And they're kind of like, I can draw it whatever I want, but if, if the artist decides to draw it with an ass shot, that's my, you know, yeah. <laughs> my meaning is now completely gone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, but at the same time, there's not really anything that part I can do about that. Sure. Without being the only creator, you know? Yeah. And, that, and I, of course, I look at the stuff like this, and in terms of like anything which is a larger project, like at least there I could have an argument with one person. Right. And in terms of like a project with multiple artists and how that all comes together and what actually gets paid for, there's so many parts of the machinery yeah. that um, influences the art. So like, so I agree. I agree with Melvin entirely. This is very much how I um, like I try to think about stuff. But fuck me, sorry, but it is very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, I guess yeah. It's also hard to imagine like you're saying like there are so many people involved in this. And obviously this is like not exactly how anime production works, but it is very funny to me to imagine like everyone on the sort of like particular creative levels having the broader project in mind. And then like one of the sort of like key animators was just like very horny one day and is like, I'm gonna put it in ass shot. Oh and then they got the daily, you know, they got the, the footage back and we're like, what do we do? <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess one other thing about this show that is worth talking about a little bit is something that doesn't really come up until later on, but it's the way that like homosexuality is treated. Um, and there's a lot of context here, right. In terms of like what you can and can't show on TV. Um, because I know even recently, uh, Yuri on ice, the, you know, critically acclaimed show about figure skaters, they had a gay kiss um, that was two guys, importantly, but they couldn't really show it directly. And then there was like a lot of fan outrage and stuff. And the director basically said, like, this was the only way I could I could get it done and like have them show it. Um, so the stuff with Homura and Madoka, like Homura is in love with Madoka. Like that's yes. basically that's mm. it. 
Um, and, uh, when Hitomi says in like the first episode, I think like girls are supposed to kiss girls. Like that's sort of like the voice of the world and of like production and everything. Um, and I don't know, just like the way that lesbianism is used as like this kind of like, it's almost like the message is this would be enough or like this, this would be a solution this problem but it is made so impossible by the world you know it's definitely this statement of i say girls can't like girls right that kind of like that means that, that mean, by saying it's not true it means it is true right right <laughs> you know <laughs> and immediately you put it because i definitely i mean obviously i'm only up to the third episode but i was getting a, a lot of queer energy in a lot of places yeah in this kind of way i'm like so even just by putting on the mantle, it's like a gun on the mantelpiece. You just know, even if they don't fire that gun, yeah. that gun is there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they live in a world where this happens. Yeah. It, it's interesting, too, to think about those limitations in the context of when this aired. Because I think that now there's a little bit more flexibility in terms of what people can do in yeah. like animation, especially. Um, but... 2011 that like isn't really the case like that's there's sort of a lot of things i think that are are expressing the same like background cultural energy right so you have like the people sort of talking about how adventure time couldn't make the uh marceline princess bubblegum relationship like explicit until the very end of the show Mm -hmm. the stuff i mean like Korra, which people are talking about a lot now because Avatar is on Netflix, Mm -hmm. but that they, they, you know, sort of had to negotiate being able to do this shot where they're like holding hands and like walking off uh, the sort of like, I think in some ways the entire production process on Steven Universe is like an extended negotiation of like what kind of gay stuff you can show Mm -hmm. um, that obviously like ends with them being able to do like a gay wedding, but that at the beginning is a lot harder. Um, and I think it's interesting to think about that in the context of anime because, you know, there's so much stuff that I think Madoka is referencing that has that that undertones. Like, Mary, you haven't seen all of Utena, right? But I think there's, like, a lot of Utena energy. Yeah, absolutely there um, is. In this. Because that was a show that basically did a similar thing, or like, what the show wants to do as well, of just, like... We're just, like, everyone's gay, but we're not going to say it explicitly. Right. <laughs> uh, but that even, even uh, Ikuhara, the director who made Utena, the show that he made in, like, 2015 is literally called Lesbian Bear Storm. Um, and, like, the extent to which, you, you know, those constraints have at least slackened a little bit, I think, is really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, What's that lesbian bear? Storm? Yes, lesbian bear. It's Yuri Kuma Arashi. It translates as lesbian bear storm. It is a just checking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It is about a world uh, in which there's like a big magical wall that keeps out the bears, and some of the bears transform into girls and go to like a girls' academy to eat humans, but then they fall in love with the other girls, and it just is like. Oh my god! It's weird. It's weirder than this, I think, oh, which no. is saying quite a bit. No, like this is a pretty sure. weird uh, property. But Yuri Kuma Arashi is like really bizarre. There's a bare legal court that shows up a bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but that that I think I don't know. Like so much of that to me, and I'm I'm curious how you guys like feel about like I think it works better when it is at this level. 
like, I think it, you, you know, I think if you made a version of this where, like, that subtext was super explicit, it, like, maybe wouldn't work as well. I don't know. Because I don't want to be in a position of being like, oh, we should, like, censor this type of, of relationship. I just think that you lose something sometimes when you just, like, um, you know, it, it, it's like doing a will they, won't they, right? Mm-hmm. Where you, like, build up all of the tension between the characters and so much of what I think people get out of that art is, like, projecting into it and like thinking about this dynamic and i think you lose that with with something uh, occasionally where it just like yes this is the subtext this is what is happening yeah i mean i i agree from a narrative standpoint and i guess i i i think the the problem is when uh like a, a sexuality becomes like a narrative totally element rather than um I don't know. I mean, the fact is that it is in even now in the in the current era, um, and so like, yeah, like it, they're tragic lesbians, um, and that's like a trope. That's like a a thing, um, and it's I don't know easy for people to project into because it's real, yes. I guess. But it it also is this kind of like you know, I think interesting in that it is this kind of like childhood almost like longing. Um, for a person that I think is pretty universal uh, or like this, these really big teen feelings for a person um, like your crush is the most important person in the world. Right. Um, so yeah, it's complicated. It's like we, we live in a society basically. We do live in a society. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I feel bad now, uh, but I, I think, I don't know, just like, Especially in the context of this show, it feels like all of that subtext is like, I guess I don't know what the show would look like if it was explicit, because there's so much of that, like, yearning in all the characters. It couldn't really exist. Right. Like, even like Madoka in like episodes two and three, like she clearly is like crushing on mommy in this like really major way and that they have this. I mean, I guess that kind of is a it's like. Not quite, because it's not explicit, but it kind of is a barrier gaze, mm-hmm. right? That, like, they have this moment of connection where Ma- Madoka says, Mommy, like, you're not going to be alone anymore. Like, I'm going to join you. And that, I think, is the closest that the show gets to being explicit about that subtext. And then, of course, immediately afterward, Mommy gets her head bit off. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, like, obviously is an instance of this this trope that I think people, like, very understandably dislike and that is frustrating but it also like fits into the emotional project of the show, I think. Sure. If in a world about homophobia and that in that okay, if that scene was involved with a boy and a girl, that scene would just be read as romantic. You know what I mean? It wouldn't be a question of even discussing what's the subtext. Right. It's just kind of we'd be uh, socially trained to read that coupling in that situation as a romantic coupling. Right. In the same way, in a world about homophobia, I think that scene would one hundred percent just be read as a confession of love between you know two young lesbians. Right. Basically. Right. Um, you know what I mean? And it's like, you're saying we, we exist in context. And it's very, all this stuff impacts that. And especially, the, you know, you say, yeah, that, so what I just said, in addition to everything everyone else has just said, um, I think that's all true and messy. Um, there's a line that uh, I was trying to, something happened to one of my characters. And we're talking about this in terms of like queer people dealing with, especially the lighter, lighter queer work is a slightly different category. But if you're doing like, darker and messier work yeah. 
which involves awful things happening to people. Mm-hmm. It's quite difficult to see awful things happen to people despite of who they are rather than because of what yes. they are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Historically, a lot of very, very your gays was because of, you know, that, that that's how that's how homophobia looks in the world. Yeah. When it's a story that centers their emotions, it's a slightly different thing. Yeah. And like, and at the same time, I don't think it's, it makes it any easier to see. So it's definitely like we live in a state of constant negotiation of how these things come across, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. Mm. Um Yeah, I don't know. Do we is there anything else we wanna we wanna talk about before we Can I ask a question? Yeah. Actually, this is um I sent um the thing about the wishes is it's such a weird like the wishes is a tell that it's not all good. Because like as you said earlier, like a lot of people would just love to be a magical girl. Right, right. You know? It's like, would you like to be Superman? I'll give you a free gift. You <laughs> yeah. You know? I immediately go, why do I have to have a gift? Right. So that, that's such an interesting tell. But at the same time, it's like, I, was, I found myself immediately thinking, so what are the limits on the wishes? You know, it's what you said about the, the Anne Frank point earlier. It's just kind of like, can I wish the world peace? And you know? It's interesting <laughs> that um, you... Yeah, there is some stuff that. that is a that, like, articulates that. Do you want to sort of, like... Like the ending? Well, we could, yeah, maybe we can talk about the, like, context of how that stuff plays out and then talk about the ending of, like, what the wishes do. Because right. I think it's, the wishes are the source of the emotional energy that is harvested from the magical girls. Like, the, the, the way that the show talks about that energy as a resource that, like, Kyube is collecting is that you have to have a wish that you feel strongly enough about that you would, like, willingly do this thing and that the wish is the thing that that generates the the energy and that then changes the way that your, like, magical girl powers manifest. Um, right, so... so like a stake, essentially. It's your stakes in the game, if you will. Yeah, because for, for Sayaka, right, she uses her wish to, like, heal this other person and then... When she becomes a magical girl, she basically is, like, a knight, kind of. She has, like, a sword, and she heals really quickly. And the sort of, like, metaphor there, which is, like, not even really subtext again, is that she just, like, gets wounded a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, But she can sort of, like, take it because she heals really fast uh, and is, like, literally self-sacrificing. And that, that, you know, Homura has this, like, very internal focus on Monoka that lets her like keep returning to the site of this this relationship um yeah and i don't know do do you want to talk about like what how that how that gets gets tied into the limitations of the the wishes like at the end um yeah so um basically because of all the time travel Monoka has become like the most important person in the universe and uh Homura tries to fight Valpurgis Noct and uh, loses. And Monica makes her wish, which is that she wishes to prevent witches from coming into existence. Like, she wishes to live in a world where witches don't exist. And what that does is create a new world where Monica never existed and only Homura remembers her. Uh, all of the other characters are still alive. Um, and Magical Girls... Not all of them, not Sayaka. Oh, right. Okay. Um, and then they they fight what are now called wraiths, I believe, that are just formed from the negative emotions of humanity. Um, but when you... When they would have become a witch, they instead, like, just basically go to, like, heaven. Yeah, they just vanish, basically. Yeah. 
and and Madoka sort of takes on this like trans historical, um, like Sharon kind of vibe. She becomes a law of a, a law of the universe. Yes, a uh, nude law of the universe. Uh, which is why all of that, like the like we were talking about those historical scenes, and you sort of get this montage of of Madoka like inserting herself into the entire history of the world, and in taking on right because like the one defining trait i think that she has as a character is that she just wants to like help people and like be sort of generally positive yeah uh and that in doing so for all magical girls at all times she literally ceases to have an identity which maybe says something about like that impulse um but that she also manages to sort of like prevent people from giving in uh you know, and, and, and like turning into this really terrible thing. I do think it's important that the, she doesn't totally dismantle the system. Like Cubay is still there and making the contract is still like damning in some capacity. Like you can't get around like that law of the universe. Um, but the thing that she changes is that that sort of does not, there's a lot of talk, and maybe this also answers Kieran, your earlier question. Like, basically, you become a witch when the as a way of having the grief that you bring into the world like balance out the joy that you bring into it by making the wish. So there sort of is this like the wishes all have to be net neutral for the world, and Madoka fixes that, mm-hmm. and she sort of lets people make the conscious choice to sacrifice themselves to make a wish. Um, without necessarily causing all this excess suffering, but it still requires you to like do self sacrifice in the way that the magical girl archetype works. I don't know if that made sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's interesting. Uh, yeah, and and like you know, uh, we it doesn't feel quite as cathartic. I think as you would necessarily expect, it still feels uneasy in a way that I think. Oh is yeah. Important. No, I mean, you still, you still die when you, uh, you magical girls still just like die. You do um, still have your soul ripped out and put in a ball. Uh, I mean, you, you go to like, basically, yeah, you go to heaven instead though. Um, but it's still eerie and still weird and still bad. And the the world still runs on that that yeah. energy in some ways, right? Right. Um, which I think is kind of an interesting thing to think about in terms of like whether I mean I like it feels obvious almost to say that Madoka is cynical, but that it's like this is the extent of which like you could sort of imagine someone changing things mm. is like sort of making it slightly better. Yeah. Mm. But slightly better is still better. Yeah. Uh, to put a positive spin on the end. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, the ending is is complicated, and uh, I, mm. I don't want to get into it too much, just because I feel like Karen yeah. uh, hasn't seen it. So, but yeah, yeah. Wow, we've been going for a while. Yeah. Let's let's do. We want to do the thing that we were going to do as our our sort of like last segment before we we close. Oh, I still think we should do it. Okay, I don't have a good answer, but go you ahead. should. You got to come up with one. Okay, I was. I, I thought about it literally this morning. I don't know why I didn't put this in my notes. I think it would be fun. And here, you you don't have to have an answer for this if you don't have one. I would love to know, sort of, if we if we have like what our wishes would be if we have sort of uh things that would be like worth 
magical girling. A bagel. And also, and also, that would be a good one. And also, potentially, I, I, I would need to think about this too. Sort of like what the manifestation. I have to think about the manifestation of my magical girl powers. I they would be for a bagel. Okay. And I'm going to get my wish very soon. Yeah, there's a bagel literally <laughs> like four feet away from Merritt right now. Um. Yeah, I feel like I would just be like a dumbass and just like accidentally use it. Um. Like, I wish I had no bones. <laughs> oh, no, I knew you were going to say that. Oh, no. Uh, and just have no bones. And that would sort of be my thing. I find that I was just thinking earlier, one of the things about the wishes is like, no one does that wish for world peace. Right. But it's they ultimately get the genre of the wish in that kind of like, this is what you really want. And that's kind of like, it's not like what you wish for. It's like, what do you really want is the real question yeah. underneath it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is like, the meta, the metaphor nature of the show, I find it. I think that's one of the most fascinating things how it's kind of got that tension in there, uh, which is me putting off having a wish. <laughs> well, well, I'll uh, say I'll give you a second, like because it's it's interesting because the wishes aren't necessarily, I think exactly what they want. Like because even like like mommy says to Sayaka, like you, your wish is not you don't actually want him to be able to play the violin. You, like, want him to be able to play the violin so that he will fall in love with you. And I think that it says something that the the witch and that, that like, those consequences come in some way from her not being honest with herself. Um, and that, that, like, on some level, the people who are, are better able to sustain being magical girls for a long time, like Mommy and Homura especially, like, are very clear and, like, come to terms with what their wishes are. Mm. Uh, you know, because, I mean, Mommy's is sort of the easiest one, because she's like, oh, actually, I would love to not die. That would be super cool. Uh, and you sort of, like, don't have to worry about uh, having, like, made the wrong decision. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like mine... It would be really stupid. It would be something like... Ugh, like... My, like, really dumb one probably would involve, like, posting in some capacity... Mm-hmm. You know, like be, be being able to undo my posts after people see them and then they just forget. Oh my god, <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, so I could. I must say. Yeah. Hmm. Sorry, my wishes. I've just realized, and it, my my thing is always I take the game too seriously, yeah. and any of my wishes are far too personal to put on the podcast. <laughs> that's <laughs> you that's why they're all death and all manner of like real life bullshit. Yeah, uh, so, that, that's fine. Uh, uh, less seriously, I'd probably like my all my Warhammer miniatures to be painted, mm. uh, so I can buy some a more. A Sisyphean task. <laughs> yes, but I will make and I would make, I would make an awesome magical girl. I'd be well gothy. Um, <laughs> that would be cool, especially because then if you turn into a witch, like all of the miniatures would be part of the labyrinth. Exactly. Yeah, and there'll be little minute. They'll be running around everywhere. And there'll be my powers as well. God. You know, we have little arms, people running out. So many chaos uh, arrows know. everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fun. Do you have, do you have one? What it would be? Is it, are are you sticking with bagel? Yeah, I. Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, I am really hungry. Uh-huh. I've been vaping this whole time, so. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh, yeah. I, either that or or would you would you? I'll, I'll ask you this, and then we could close. Would you wish for for Mona to be able to talk, or would you not want Mona oh to be able to God. talk? Oh my God. Uh, Mona's my cat, by the way. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't know. 
I mean, what if she could talk, but like, but like, didn't that have would be language like... and was just instead of meowing, just going, ah! <laughs> oh no! Uh, yeah, you would get super gift of the magi by that. I think. Right. Oh, your cat can talk. It has a human voice box, but it doesn't understand language. And good luck teaching it. Um, Either that, or she would like be really annoying and just like yeah. not stop talking. Yeah, uh, both bad. Cool. Uh, Do we have any any final things we want to say about the show? Like, no, we've done a we've, we've gone, gone, gone a lot. While we can wrap up. Um, I'm just looking down the list of objects. The list I've got. There's um, it says cute short thing exclamation mark. Cute short thing. And then the on episode three. New, uh, warnings for nudity and language. And it's like, huh? <laughs> it's like, I don't know that. Uh, nudity. Yeah. Is that... In, also, just... this, soul, this soul gem stuff is ugh underlined. So I, I'm, I'm ahead of the... I'm definitely ahead of the thing being a problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think in the last episode, when Monica becomes, like, a law of the universe, she's nude. Yeah. Uh, I, yes. There's a, it's a, it's, it's interesting. I think that shot is like, she sort of is like abstracted nude in the way yeah. that like a Sailor Moon transformation sequence looks. Mm-hmm. I think it's a reference to that, that kind of thing. Also, her soul gem is so big, it literally is a comet. Oh, yeah. When you were a kid, were there ever those like rumors that like, oh, in the original uncensored Sailor Moon, she's nude. That was like a very popular rumor uh, when I was growing up. Wow, sounds like it's cool that you had friends who were into anime. That's nice. <laughs> I mean, not really, but it was on YTV. So, uh, yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I, ha- I don't, I didn't know that people one? who who talked. If about you've heard that rumor, let me know on Twitter at Merit Care. Uh, Eric is on Twitter at Eric Therm. Uh, Kieran is on Twitter. At uh, Kieran, K-I-E-R-O-N, Gillen, G-I-L-L-E-N. Um, yes. Uh, Kieran, what are, you, what are you working on right now? What books of yours can people buy, etc.? I am. I have three of my own books coming out at the moment. Die, which is basically, I only found this out after releasing it, uh, but it's, an, it's a deconstruction of a, the Isaki genre, apparently. Of the which genre? Uh, which is good to know. Uh, I've, I've always deconstructing portal fantasy, but that's just because I'm that uh-huh. dude. Uh, but Doi is this like fancy comic. It's really bleak. People seem to really like it. Um, <laughs> the um, course, there's a there's a big car reminds me of this actually. Uh, I've got a book called Once a Future coming out, which is basically a lot lighter, which is like kind of like grandmother grandson Indiana Jones against Indiana Jones versus undead King Arthur. Uh-huh. Uh, a new book called The Ludocrats Out, which is just very very dumb it's kind of like um like asterisk and oblix like the old the, yeah. the french cartoon uh but like as a sex comedy in a kind of <laughs> june universe it's very silly and lots of other stuff as always cool yeah i mean check all that stuff out also i'm like halfway through the wicked and divine right now and uh yeah. if yes. i'm finally reading it i'm so sorry it took this long thank you no <laughs> <laughs> uh and if you all haven't read that I highly recommend it's it. Pretty You're going to love it. It's great. Really, really, really good. Um, check that out. Uh, Thank you. Yes, available from all good bookshops. Yeah. Buy yeah, go to, one of the good books. Yeah, go to your go to your order from your local comic book store if you have one. Yeah, support your brick and mortars. Speaking of which, wow, I mean, we can't get into this, but I just heard that DC dropped out of Diamond. 
distribute. They which did. Is, this is interesting. Which is huge. And neither of them distribute to the UK, I believe, which is. Uh, or the uh, DC doesn't, which is kind of weird. Um, but yeah, comics. Well, that's not where I thought you were going with that. That's not where you thought I was Never going. mind. Okay. Uh, yeah, I go to Fanbyte Media on Twitter to follow us there. And go to fanbyte.com for more of this sort of thing. Uh, and as, as we close out, so normally we do a sort of like unnecessarily complicated segment in which we attempt to decide what the next show will be. Kieran, do you, can you give us like a word of like tonal inspiration and then I will pick something to make Mara watch next week? I just thought the word dogs. Dogs? Oh, great. So dogs. Oh, are you watching Beastars then? Yes, let's what well, we will either watch Beastars. We'll tell people this on Twitter. We either will watch Beastars or if I can watch enough of it before next week, we will watch the one that aired last season that reimagines like mythical Japanese war heroes as reincarnated dogs fighting at the dog park. This sounds amazing. Yeah, have I told you about that one? <laughs> no, I have not heard. Yeah, of that one, that one was like I read about it in a preview of like stuff that was coming out this season like pretty good that sounds very uh, good so if i if i can find that and watch enough of it we will do that and if we can't we will do b stars great well thank you kieran i'm excited to yeah. watch this dog park show now um thank you for having me this has been a delight. Yeah, thank you so much for, for being our first guest great uh and until next time everybody we'll see you in the shadow realm